Philippians chapter 4. And in the book of Philippians, as you well know, we are coming to a point that will almost, in a couple of messages from now, take us to the very end of our exposition of the book of Philippians. And as we do so, we are in a section of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20, under the title that I've given, Financial Partnership in the Spread of the Gospel. Financial Partnership in the Spread of the Gospel. You follow along as I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. The Apostle Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I know when you end a reading like that and you say, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We should close our service. Ah, contraire. We need to understand what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20, before we close our Bibles, because this is a most important study on the concept of giving, money, receiving and giving of our funds to the Lord. And I started out last time by telling you that there are some principles here for us to glean for our own lives as we see Paul interacting with the Philippians and they're interacting with him. And I told you that one of the key words here, it's mentioned in both verse 14 and verse 15, and it is the word share or partnership or fellowship. All of those English words help to capture this word koinonia. You might have heard that word before. That's, that's the Greek word for the word share or fellowship or partnership. And that's why I've entitled this series of messages, probably three in all, Financial Partnership in the Spread of the Gospel. And if you were with us last time, I told you under the aegis of verse 10, 
that there is a kind of financial partnership in the spread of the gospel that comes with both care and concern in the mind. Care and concern in the mind. What do I mean by that? Well, look back at verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You remember I mentioned to you that the word revived is where I get this outline point for care because revived is a botanical term. It's a term that talked about, let's say, flowers that had not been blooming for quite a long time. And now these flowers, because of the right circumstances, are now coming to full bloom. And so what Paul is saying is, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that now at last or at length you have seen your desire to give to the Lord for my needs revived. And he says, I'm not blaming you. I know that you had that concern all along, but according to the end of verse 10, you simply had no opportunity to give. Remember, in the first century, there was not the kind of speed with which we can do things in our lives in the 21st century. If we wanted to give money to someone, someone might whip out their smartphone and use Venmo. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul hearing the word Venmo? He might say to himself, I have no idea what you're talking about. Likewise, if you just saw the English word revived and you didn't know that it's talking about a botanical term that says that now this this opportunity for your giving, Philippians, is coming to a full bloom. And we might say, I understand what that means. And so Paul, being the pastor that he is, says, I know you didn't have the opportunity before. Maybe that was because in the first century there was no kinds of speed and alacrity with getting this kind of support to Paul. Remember, Paul is in prison, presumably in Rome. These believers are in Philippi, which is a Gentile area in Asia, and they are far apart from one another. And so they didn't have the right kind of opportunity. And perhaps Epaphroditus, being this uh, laborer for the Apostle Paul, both in bringing Paul's letter to the Philippians and uh, the Philippians may be receiving from, uh, uh, for Paul, this gift, this gift of money, material goods perhaps. And Epaphroditus wants to bring this back to Paul And so he says, you have revived your concern, and that's why I call it care. Financial partnership in the spread of the gospel starts with the reviving of the opportunity to give someone your funds for their help because in your mind, you care. You care about them. You care about their needs. We just heard a missions presentation for financial support. There are needs. If we can help with those needs, we want to do so. It's for the fellowship in our partnership for the spread of the gospel. And we care about those people. Our, our blossoming desire is to make sure that the gospel goes all over the globe. That's our commissioning. 
This is our partnership, the spread of the gospel. That's our care. And then there's also a concern, according to verse 10. That's why I've given this outline point, this spread of the gospel comes with care and concern. And you remember I told you last time, you have revived, Paul says, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And that word for concern is a a mind word, phreneo. It means that you are thinking about me. That's where all giving starts, doesn't it? Starts in the mind. It starts with my, my attitude. It starts with my desire through the care that I have for certain needs and the opportunity as my mind is other-centered, not so centered on my own needs ever and always, but on the needs of others, and I have a concern. It all starts, this financial partnership and the spread of the gospel, in the mind. And then I said, also last time from verses 11 and 12, that there's a financial partnership in the spread of the gospel that comes with circumstances and contentment in the heart. Circumstances and contentment in the heart. Look at verse 11. Philippians 4.11 says, Not, does Paul say, that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You see that phrase, whatever situation. That is, whatever circumstances. Whatever circumstances I find myself in, Paul says. And what circumstances might he be referring to? Any and all of the circumstances he's in, because he says, verse 12, I know how to be brought low. That's a term for humiliation, deprivation. I know how to be humbly deprived, and I know how to abound. I know how to be low, and I know how to be high. And because of the context now, he's not talking about just his attitudinal makeup, although that's certainly a part of it. He's talking about, I know how to be brought low or to be humiliated because I don't have anything to eat. And I also know how to abound. I know how to be high in the materiality category. In other words, there have been times where I didn't have anything to eat, and in that situation, I learned to be content, and there were times in which I had plenty to eat, and I was content in that situation. And when he says content, I told you last time, that's probably a definition that we could use like this. Contentment is a kind of selfless acceptance of God's plan, a selfless acceptance of God's plan. What kind of selfless acceptance? Well, you remember I went through a couple of passages from Paul's own life. And one of those passages was 2 Corinthians 4. And then we turned to 2 Corinthians 11. And then we turned to 2 Corinthians 12. And we saw all of these very, very challenging circumstances of the Apostle Paul. And you know there are some of those also here in Philippians. Turn over back to Philippians chapter 1, and you can see just in the context of this book alone that Paul had some challenging circumstances. Well, what's the first one? You know what the first one is. He's in prison. Might that be a challenging circumstance? Most certainly it is a challenging circumstance. How so? What does he say? He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is 
the implied imprisonment that I just mentioned, what has happened to me has really served to do what? No, maybe that's a misprint in your Bible. What he should be saying if he's focused on himself is, I want you to know that what has happened to me is a real bummer. I want you to know that what has happened to me is totally unfair. And I can't imagine why God has me in this bug-infested jailhouse with deprivation, with a lack of, of, of all the niceties of life. And I'm going to tell you right out of the gate that when I have the opportunity to get out of here, the Lord and I are going to have a long conversation. And it's going to be pretty one-sided on my part. Because, look what I've been doing. I've been out there trying to be faithful to you. I've been out there trying to, to faithfully communicate the gospel. And I've tried to get the Philippians involved. And, and they, uh, like apparently uh, no other church, has participated with me in this giving and receiving of funds so that the gospel could be spread far and wide, and now you send me to prison? Aren't I doing the Lord's work? Aren't I one of your faithful slaves? I tell you, Lord, this idea of suffering and having afflictions and all of the bad circumstances that you've had me in of which I've written to the Corinthians in chapter 4 and chapter 11 and chapter 12 and all of these beatings and all of this deprivation, I just think that where I'm at is not where I should be. Now, you say, no, there's no misprint in our Bibles. But perhaps, unlike Paul, saying, I believe that my circumstances have have actually worked to advance the gospel... Maybe we say to ourselves in our current circumstances, perhaps God has missed the right plan. Perhaps He's not orchestrated the right way. Perhaps the circumstances I'm in are so totally unfair that I have a beef with God. Well, let Paul be your guide. Here he is in Philippians chapter 1. And he says in verse 13, So this advancing of the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, all of these who are guarding me, who are, who are the guards in my incarceration, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for whom? Christ. I mean, what an attitude. What an attitude in his circumstances. So much so that when you get to Philippians chapter 4, He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation, whatever circumstances I am, I am going to be content. I have a settled, selfless acceptance. That was Paul's heart. He was centered not on his circumstances, but on his own joy in the Lord. Do you see it in verse 10? I rejoiced in the Lord. How so? Greatly. Greatly. That's a guy in prison who's saying that and who's in the prison not of his own doing and not fairly so. No wonder he says in chapter 4, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice. 
Paul, I guess you don't really understand things. Because if you were in present-day America, and if you were suffering for the cause of Christ, and if you weren't having all of the health and wealth and prosperity that Christianity truly brings, you'd have a different attitude about this. I mean, you keep talking about all of these negatives and all the suffering and all the afflictions, but if you lived in the good old U.S. of A., you would understand that the gospel has inherent within it nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity. You say, prove it. Well, just turn on television. Just watch it. And watch and listen carefully to see whether or not Any of those preachers, not all of them, but any number of them, and you could just pick them out and we could mention their names, to which you would listen to them in vain for hours, if not days, if not weeks and months and years, and barely, if ever, hear the word sin. Isn't that so? They have a warped theology, and that theology turns the very circumstances Like Paul is talking about here, deprivation, need, the lack of funds, imprisonment, beatings, all for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't sound like a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. sounds like the opposite. And you would actually hear these kinds of preachers say that if you're going through those kinds of things, it isn't the gospel. And I tell you, Paul is saying, I'm in this prison Because it serves in God's good purposes, providentially so, to advance the gospel. And do you know that in the last, next to last verse of Philippians 4, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I just, I love that. Paul is a witnessing machine. And if he's uh, interlocked in the arm of a a would-be guard then that guard is going to hear the gospel. And he says, oh, by the way, I want you to say to the imperial guard, those of, of that guard who came to faith in Jesus Christ through the witness of the gospel, I love you. We'll see each other in heaven. This is, this is the circumstances that he's talking about. This is, this is Paul saying, I have a settled contentedness Because in whatever situation I'm in, I could have the opportunity to be brought low and I could abound. And then he says in the latter part of verse 12, in any and every circumstance, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret, the initiatory right, the R-I-T-E, I've learned the, the actual proof of the inner workings of Christianity that you can face both plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And you see all of those crisscrossings brought low, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance and need. Whatever your circumstances are, here's what you have, contentment. Contentment. I didn't say that was easy. I didn't say that was easy at all. In fact, it's incredibly hard. Disease, sickness, poverty, need, lack of material goods, to say nothing of persecutions, slander, and all the rest. This is, this is part and parcel of Christianity. You say it is? Well, then, 
What are those prosperity gospel preachers talking about if Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 28, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Your salvation is directly from God. And then verse 29, an amazing verse, for it has been granted to you, as though this is a granting like a gift. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. Suffer? Suffer for the sake of the gospel? To, to, to suffer? Yes, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I, Paul, had and now hear that I still have. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, none of us are saying... Please, please bring on the suffering. I want it so desperately. I want to be persecuted really hard. I I want to go to a foreign country, and I want to live with the deprivation of not being in the first world. I'm living in a third world context, and I do that because I'm asking for the Lord to bring it all upon me because I just love every last moment of it. Nobody speaks that way. What you say is, Lord, if you are willing, and if this is your design, I'm willing to suffer anything for the sake of Christ. Because even as I follow my Lord Jesus, he himself followed in his obedience to the Father's will everything that he experienced all the way to an unfair, unjust death on a cross. And if I'm to be Christ-like, this might be my contentment as well. By the way, that word contentment could also actually be translated with something like uh, sufficiency. And does not Paul himself say in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5, our sufficiency, our contentment is of God. It's, it's It's of God. My contentment is not resting in my circumstances. Look, if you and I, as 21st century believers, are putting all of our eggs in the basket of our circumstances, and we are high when the basket is full with the goodies, and if we're low when the goodies turn out not to be goodies but baddies, then I'm low today. I'm not abounding today. I'm struggling with my attitude today. I don't like it today. I don't want it today. Instead, I take all of my circumstances, both good and bad, both low and high, both plenty and want, both abundance and need, and wherewith in whatever situation I am, I am content. I'm sufficient because the Lord has all of my needs in mind. And the Apostle Paul says in the pastoral epistles, and out of them all he delivered me. Out of them all. All right, what about verse 13? What about verse 13? <laughs> Here's what about it. Financial partnership in the spread of the gospel comes with commitment and Christ in the will. With commitment and Christ in the will. 
I said care and concern starts with the mind. The idea of circumstances and contentment is a matter of the heart. And now, according to verse 13, our financial partnership in the spread of the gospel comes with commitment and Christ in the will, in the will of a person. You know, you know what the will is. The will is that, that internal mechanism that pushes you to do certain things. I will to go here. I will to do that. You and I might call it the willer. And I need my willer activated in the right way. And how do I have it activated in the right way? Well, it takes a commitment. You have to will the right kind of commitment. And what is his commitment in verse 13? He says, by the way, in the Greek text, all things is first in the sentence. All things. That's, that's verse 13. All things. Panta. All things I am able. I can do all things. And I told you last time, boy, when you start out a sentence like that, and when you take it out of its context, and if you only have Philippians 4.13 on your cap, or as a football player on your eye black, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, where is the emphasis? I, I can do. I can do all things. Now, no one who's doing that would ever say, look, I'm putting the emphasis on myself and uh, you need to allow me a little bit of benefit of the doubt because I'm saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, all right, that's all right. That's okay. But what is the context of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20? Context is, context is king, right? Context is is that which allows us to preach and teach and understand the Bible in the right way with the right kind of biblical principles of interpretation. We're talking about money. We're talking about giving. We're talking about plenty and want, abundance and need. He's just said it, just the verse before. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the idea of how you can live your life in the material world. What about your money? What about the funds? What about paying your bills? Uh, what about how you're going to live from day to day? What about your, your clothes? What about your house? What about all of these things that you and I need to live? You know, I was thinking about this, this just the other day. Took my wife to this, this surgery that she had this week, and thank you for praying. It was a success. She's still struggling with post-ablation syndrome, and it's, it's, it's terrible, but, you know, she's fighting as hard as she possibly can. And, and I'm driving down at 4 a.m. in the morning for this procedure, and it was a 14-hour day on Thursday, and we're going through this, and I thought to myself, now, I'm going to be standing before these gracious, loving, dear people, and I'm going to be talking to them about money. So start thinking in your drive at 4 a.m. about what money is involved in what you're currently doing, just this day. Just only think about the idea of what it's costing today. Do you know if you did that circumstantially, you'd probably find yourself in a fetal position under your bed crying your eyes out? (laughs) Wouldn't you? Because you're saying to yourself, okay, I had lights in the house before I ever left the house. Somebody's got to pay the bill for those lights. I got in my car. Oh, you got to have money for a car. Oh, I I filled up with gas the day before so I knew I'd have the gas to get all the way down to UCLA and back again. 
I didn't know how the traffic was, and I didn't know if we were going to go bumper to bumper there or back. We didn't there. We did back. You're on the road for two or three hours, bumper to bumper at five miles an hour, so you better make sure you got a full tank of gas. Well, that costs money. Oh, and the procedure itself. Oh, you got to have the anesthetist. And that person is, is actually supporting themselves through what they're doing to you. Oh, and by the way, none of us could probably handle all of that, so you have to have insurance, which means you have to have money for the insurance, which means that then the medical doctor comes by, and he's a wonderful guy, plus, because of who he is and the job that he does, and we thank God for them, he also can have his fun, and so you're also contributing to his boat, okay? (laughs) And then you're also emboldened to the nurses who are taking great care of you and the person who led you to the waiting room and all of those people who are doing that surgery and all of the people in the recovery room and then you're going home and then you got to go home and turn on those lights again and there's about a thousand more details where it all costs nothing but money. And you know what? We hardly ever think about those things. We hardly ever think about those things. You say, well, that's because of my robust trust in the Lord. No, it's usually, for all of us, myself included, an assumption that I shall be taken care of no matter what the costs are. No matter if it's $5 this day and $500,000 the next day. If you added everything up. I've even told my eight kids, do you know that each one of you from the time you were birthed until now, you haven't paid a thing? And do you know that if I wanted to, I could ask you to give me my $2.53 million back because I added up all the money that I made over this 22-year period as you're now bounding out of college into your new life, and it adds up to about $2.53 million on just you. And there are eight of you. I know, you should have said, you should have thought about that before you had all eight of them. I get that. I understand that. I would still have them. Which one of the guppies would you throw back into the pond? But when you start thinking about the money, you can get so fixated on the money that you can do one of two things with it. You can be so thinking about the money that you become fearful, anxious, worried, upset, even joyful when it does come in, when there are enough monies to pay the bill. Or you could say, according to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ says that for all of your very, very critical needs like food and shelter and clothing, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all of these things shall be what? Added to you. So what do you, what do you concentrate on? Pursuing the kingdom of God, the fellowship of the partnership that we share in the spreading of the gospel ministry. And this is what Paul is talking about here. I can do all things gospel ministry. This is the context. I can do all things gospel ministry. I can continue to reach out. In fact, my plan is if I'm, if I'm let out of that incarceration, I plan to go back and do the very thing that I was doing before. And I'm going to visit you. And oh, by the way, I told the Romans that at the end of my letter, I also wanted to take the gospel to Spain. 
He just kept going and going and going. Paul, the energizer bunny. He is the person who is saying, I can do all things and I can do all things including living with plenty and want, abundance and need, being brought low and abounding. This is talking about money, folks. This is talking about I can do all things. I can do my gospel ministry because I know that with all the financial crunch that we all have, including your giving and receiving to me, we can do all things. I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. And i got to will myself to believe that. i got to get my willer activated to say, yes, of course it's a commitment. You have to do all things. That's why he says, does Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to know that I labored more than you all. You say, that sounds proud. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See the balance? I can do all things. I labored more than you all. Galatians 2.20, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. This is, this is the context. This is what he's talking about. First. Corinthians 15, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation. Well, it's all up to me. Next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Oh, well, then it's all up to God. You say, no, no, it's not all up to God because you're supposed to activate your will to do all things. And when you are activating your will to do all things, especially you husbands and fathers, to lead your families, including the material financial needs of their life, and that's your primary responsibility, you can do all things. Don't tell anybody you can't. God expects you to. He's asking you to. No, He's commanding you to. And in your doing of such things, Christ strengthens you. He's the power source. Look over in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You will will see what I think is is actually a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 1. Here's the parallel. Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse 28, Whom we proclaim, referring to Christ, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom. Who's doing the admonishing? Paul and his fellow believers, his fellow teachers. Who's doing the teaching? We're teaching every person. We're admonishing every person with all wisdom in order that we may present. Who's doing it? The believers, the leaders, the apostles. We're presenting every person complete in Christ. Watch the balance. Verse 29, for which I also toil, I labor. For this I toil, struggling, agonizing with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Do you see the balance? It's a beautiful balance. It's saying you got to have the activated willer to spread the gospel. Remember the context. I'm here to spread the gospel. It's my life. You say, no, 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 no. I work in a factory. I deliver the mail. I do this. I do that. I do a hundred things. No, no, no. No. I let the preacher spread the gospel. I let missionaries spread the gospel. 
You know that according to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that the apostles have been given a commission and the apostles give that commission to others who give it to others who give it to others who give it to others. And 2,000 years later, you and I have the same commission. Uh, They're commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself with a capital C commission and we're being given a commission with a small c. We're not apostles, but we are sent small a apostle with a message and this message is that Jesus Christ saves. How can you do such a thing? Well, you got to have funds. You got to have a car. You got to have a plane. You got to get to a place where the gospel needs to be spread. That takes money. And Paul is saying, I, I know you didn't have the opportunity before, but, but now this opportunity in your heart, this care and concern ha- has been blossoming, and you didn't have opportunity then, but you have opportunity now, and here's your opportunity to give, and when you give, I want you to know that you're not my bosses, uh, you're n- not my uh, patron, and I'm not your client, I- I'm going to receive it without the obligation of giving you in return, like the custom was of the day, because we're in this financial partnership together, whether you receive sums back and more, and here's what we're doing. We're in this partnership, and by the way, it's all about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me. This is, this is the will of God. He says to the Corinthians, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. You should say that about yourself. Woe is you. You know what woe means? Damn me. Consign me to hell and judgment forever if I do not preach the gospel. Now that's a guy who knows his calling. It's a guy who knows what's going on. And he has a responsibility. And that responsibility is emboldened upon you and me to be in whatever form and frame you and I are fitted by God to communicate the gospel doesn't have to be preaching like this. doesn't have to be going and being a missionary. But preaching like this and going to be a missionary costs money, time, treasure. I thank God that Chris Brunziel is currently in a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program. He's trying to be more educated. He's trying to, to have the kind of training that makes him better, better as a shepherd, better as a counselor. That's why I went through some recent training myself, even though I'm an old man. I, I, I want more training. I want more study. I want more time so I can be more effective. Maybe even so effective that I don't preach such long sermons afternoon. <laughs> and speaking of that, we're out of time.